0: Good morning, everyone. Our first reading and the gospel, um, both accounts are very complicated and very sophisticated stories. And uh, there's been much uh, debate about when we approach, in particular, all the scriptures, but these two uh, do we approach it uh, from the literal perspective? is it an analogy, a story? Is it myth? It's not really any of those. Or, uh, not. Uh, we have to remember there's a time and place for academic understanding of the Scriptures. The Mother Church certainly has done that. But uh, we don't want to lose focus of what is the point that uh, the author is trying to put forth. And with Genesis, uh, from the word generations or generative, Genesis is trying to put forth uh, an understanding about the universe, but in this particular reading, uh, the author is trying to put forth, if you will, what I call the psychology of temptation, this understanding and uh, recognition and dependence on God. And uh, uh, oddly enough, the second reading from St. Paul, St. Paul is explaining uh, what the first reading in the gospel is about. Normally, St. Paul's writings have to do with something going on in one of the communities he's created, one of the church communities. They're fighting, they're not fighting, they're not understanding. This is what he does. But this letter to the Romans, he's trying to explain this Genesis story and the temptation account. So that left me with, what do I say? If Paul's explaining everything, what am I left with to do for you? And so Marenza, on this Sunday of Lent, um, this very complicated and uh, sophisticated stories um, are challenging and they're uh, mysterious, particularly the temptation of Jesus. Challenging in that perhaps we ponder how it is that Satan could even tempt Jesus. It is mysterious because I cannot fully understand in what way these enticements by Satan could have been real temptations for Jesus, who is the Son of God. Our church teaches that except for sin, Jesus was fully human in all things like us. That means he did not pretend to be human. He was human. In Greek mythology, the gods would pretend to be human. In this case, Jesus didn't pretend. He was. And he's also fully divine. This is still a mystery to us that means these temptations were real for him they were very powerful because people say well he was he was God in the flesh and uh, those temptations weren't real yes they were they were very real and they were very powerful and uh, Jesus had to battle them by resisting them or giving over to them also choice Jesus had a choice Jesus did experience a struggle. He had to reaffirm his complete acceptance of his Father's will for those temptations were to lure Jesus away from the mission given to him by his Father. And Matthew tells about three temptations. And upon reflection, um, we see, yes, they're about trust, about faith, and about obedience. That first one that is put forth This is after Jesus has fasted and Satan comes to him and says, you're hungry, Uh, you are divine, are you not? Use your power, it's your prerogative, use your divine power and change the rocks into food. To which Jesus says, no, I will not use my power for myself. I will rely on my Father. That's what that first one does. The second one, is a test about God's words and his faithfulness. And uh, he tells them, oh, you know, it is written, he twists, and that's what Satan does, he twists the truth and lies, and he says, it is written, lest your foot be hurt, the angels will come, so tore yourself down and test it. Test the word of God, test if he tells the truth. You see the, how it's twisted in its trickery. To which Jesus says, nope, nope, I trust my father. And everything written and said about him is true. The third one is very complicated because uh, we are told, and we know this from our study, the people expected a Messiah, but they expected a Messiah of their own making. They expected a Messiah who would be king who would have an army, and he would beat up the Romans and throw them out. Satan knew this, the Father knows this, and Jesus knows this. So, what Satan does is, there is another way to fulfill your Father's mission. Why don't you do it your way? You don't have to do it the way your Father wants it. To which Jesus, nope, I won't do it that way. Satan wanted him to become the political Messiah that the people were expecting. So Satan said, fulfill their expectation. Be that powerful ruler. He was asked to consider the earthly privileges of wealth because we're told, Satan says, look at all the kingdoms and their magnificence. So these earthly privileges of wealth and glory and power, um, they will come with the political Messiah. Satan knew God's people wanted this Messiah, um, this political type of Messiah. So Satan essentially proposes to Jesus to take advantage of the people, take advantage of this expectation, take the easier path from God's will to be the Messiah. Jesus adamantly refuses the propositions offered by Satan. There's another piece to this. We are made in God's image, but humans tend to want to make God into their image. An example. Jesus for me is A, B, C, and D. Nope. That's not how it works. And this is one of the other things that Satan is trying to do. Not what your father wants. What about what you want, Jesus? You're his son. Jesus chooses instead complete dependence upon God. And we are told, uh, although he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God when he walked on this earth. So he remains faithful to his father. And he recognized the faithfulness that God has, his father. And... uh, Jesus will always put forth his will first, not mine, at any cost. Jesus, by his choice, is saying that nothing, not pleasure, not power, not wealth, must ever come between him and his Father, but he will say this for us. Do not let anything come between you and my Father. The temptations which Jesus faced are experienced anew today in many disguises by the individual Christian and by the church as a whole. There is the ever-present temptation to equate God as uh, oneself to that. That's kind of what was happening. If you eat this, Satan said, hey, if you eat this, you'll be God. That was a lie. And they would die. There was the other lie. And he twisted it. And so my friends... um, And I mean, you have choices, Jesus has a choice, you have choices to make. And I look back, and uh, when we use our freedom of will, and I'll use it in today's more, when we use our freedom of choice, not for good things, but to do evil, uh, we abuse it. That was what happened in the garden. And I look back at all of our human achievements, all of our human discoveries, all of our human wars, all the heights to which humanity has risen, but also all the depths to which humanity has sunk. And all of them have been about either using freedom well or abusing freedom, the freedom that God gave us. In the desert, Jesus was faced with the very same choices that faced Adam and Eve. I will either do my Father's will or I'll go about doing my own will. And my friends, uh, I look at that, and um, your pastor is a good story about that. I'm going to be celebrating 15 years as a priest, and I'm obviously not in my 20s. So that means I went about doing my own will, whatever I wanted to do. Now, if I had just been wiser spiritually... And uh, emotionally, I would have just done what God wanted. One, because he gets what he wants. (laughs) But it would have saved me a lot of pain and suffering. But on the other hand, God always takes advantage of all the situations. So even though I did what I wanted to, he used the experiences now to round me off, I hope, as pastor and priest, and to use those experiences for better, for worse, for all of you, for his people. And um, my friends, there is this ever-present temptation then. There's a temptation to abuse our God-given freedom for less admirable things. And there is even a subtler temptation, as St. Augustine said, to make God into our own image saying, this is what God is for me. This is the way God really is, even despite we have uh, all the teachings that come from Scripture, from tradition, meaning the apostles. And all the while, religious people do this while mouthing off all kinds of pious things. And in the end, they only trust themselves. In the end, they worship themselves and their will. Our first reading from Genesis describes the weakness that, uh, are, that is attacked by Satan. In each human person, there is the great potential for goodness, but adversely, there is also the potential for unbelievable selfishness and to do things that are wicked. Satan appeals to this selfishness that it runs within us, this rebellion streak. This is what he did with Eve, telling her, do not trust God, but trust yourself on this matter. Take things for yourself. Eat the fruit, even though he told you not to. The great lesson we learn from Jesus is his faithfulness to his Father. Jesus didn't mess around with temptations. They are powerful. This is a warning to us. Don't mess around with it either. He knew the word of God, meaning what his father wanted. He knew his vocation as Jesus of Nazareth in this world. He knew his mission. And what Satan was after was getting Jesus just not to fulfill the mission. Without hesitation, Jesus reaffirmed his fidelity to his father. On the one level of our being, we want to do whatever is faithful and on another level, we want to do what we want to do. My will be done, not yours. Huh? Jesus in the desert teaches us, the pilgrim people of God, that we too must live by the word of God, not to presume, to challenge God's promises and goodness, and to serve him alone. My As I look at it, we may not have the dramatic confrontations with evil as given in the first reading, or as we heard in the gospel, but there is a real testing that happens of our personal integrity, of the morals that we say we have as Christians, and of our faithfulness to God. And amid such temptations and struggles, we should always remember that God keeps his promises, that God is faithful in all things. And furthermore, um, God is with us One of the things the scriptures talk about is that the Holy Spirit was with Jesus in all things. So the Holy Spirit is with Jesus, so he must be with us then, too, in our struggles. So the great consolation that comes for me, and hopefully for you, is to know that God is not outside of our struggle, but he's within it. But to understand this, we have to grow in faith. And then to follow Jesus, we need to look at his example and uh, um, understand. And I've been joking with people. Do you remember when people were saying, what would Jesus do? W-W-D-D, W-W-D-D. And and I was often flippant about it, and I would say, you know what? I don't know what Jesus would do. I do not know the mind of Jesus that way in all things. So don't ask me what he would do in this situation. I don't have to know what he would do. Because he told us what we should do. <laughs> in the scriptures and through the apostles, he tells you what to do. And if we do this, we would walk in holiness. And if we walk in that holiness more and more, the world would become transformed. It's one of those sore spots for many people say, What did you just do? What will you do <laughs> is the better question. What are you going to do in this situation? If you need to, look at the scriptures. He tells us he did it. And then he said, this is what you will do. And then his apostles, his friends, did the same thing. This is what you will do. And the more Jesus went into deep prayer with his Father, he used fasting and almsgiving, almsgiving, doing something. So when you pray and you fast, It better lead you to do something, not just sit there on the wooden pew. There's things to be done. Jesus did this. Go and do it. Go and do it. People, what do you want me to do? I don't know. Find something to do. Find something good to do. Choose good. You have that choice. Choose. Choose. At the last Mass, I said, who is it that you worship? Who is it that you serve? It's your choice. Do you serve Christ and his Father and the Holy Spirit? Or do you, do you not? Do you worship yourself? This is what people do. They worship themselves and their decisions and everything else. Or do you worship the Father? It's going to come out in your, by the, your decisions and what you say and do. My friends, on Ash Wednesday, 1,100-plus more plus people walked through the doors of this parish 1,100 in one day. On the weekend, I get 900 people at all three masses. Ash Wednesday is not even a holy day of obligation. So you didn't even have to come. On a holy day of obligation, no one comes. I'm like, (laughs) it's a mystery. (laughs) But I understand the importance of Lent. And I think the people who came did too. So the immediate temptation by Satan is what he would do to Jesus, the Son of God, don't fulfill the mission. In Lent, it is a time to understand who we worship and why. And to fulfill the mission given. All Satan wants is for you not to do it. So some people started off great on Ash Wednesday, and they're not here. They're already given up on the mission. That is the subtleness of the temptation. Enter into prayer. Fast almsgiving, that's just not money, that's kindness. People can give charity of the heart to everyone by a smile, by love, by forgiveness, by asking, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Do this. Go deeper and deeper. Stay away from the temptations. So my friends, all of this is to help us to grow in the season of Lent. The season of Lent is to help us to prepare, to celebrate Easter. And one of the things in the story of Adam and Eve is they did not understand the goodness of God. Had they, they wouldn't have done what they did. So we have to come to understand the goodness of God in all things. And this will make all those proper decisions. Amen?